Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. As a church, we're busy preaching through John's gospel, the gospel of John, and we're in chapter 4. We're finishing chapter 4 today. Uh, What we love to do here at Covenant Grace is uh, preach through the Bible, preach through books of the Bible, preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, because we believe the Bible is the Word of God, um, and it is the final authority for all of church life and all of church practice. And so we order our lives, and we rejoice in the Word of God as revealed in the Scriptures. Now, as we finish chapter 4 today, John is going to bring us full circle from where he began in John chapter 2. John chapter 1 is obviously this incredible epilogue to uh, the glory of Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. But John chapter 2 starts at a wedding in Cana in Galilee. Remember that wedding? The famous wedding where Jesus turns water into wine. And John brings us back to Cana and Galilee. And, uh, and we just need to catch up because we've been on a little bit of a journey So what began in Cana and Galilee, Jesus then went to Jerusalem where he encountered a young man named Nicodemus. He was a religious man, and to his astonishing surprise, Jesus said, Nicodemus, although you are religious, you need to be born again. And he had this wonderful conversation. And from that, then Jesus and John go into the wilderness, and they're doing baptisms in the outback of Judea. And then Jesus decides to leave Judea to go to Galilee again, but on his way, he passes through Samaria, which is where we were last week, where Jesus met the woman at the well. And now after this, he's heading back to Galilee. Now, what we're going to see is that the first time Jesus was in Cana of Galilee, he performed this incredible miracle over creation, a very creative miracle, turning water into wine. And it's not really just all about the miracle. What is is it actually communicating? Miracles are signs. And John actually tells us in his gospel that miracles that Jesus does are signs. Now, signs communicate things to us. When we're driving along the freeway, we look at a sign and it gives us direction. Signs are messages. And so too in the Gospels, Jesus performs signs and wonders, and they are messages declaring something about himself. Now, as we get back to Galilee, we're going to see Jesus does another sign, another miracle. So here we go. Now you've got the lie of the land. We were in Cana, Galilee. We're going back to Cana, Galilee. So John chapter 4, verse 43. John writes, he says, After the two days he departed for Galilee. So now he's been in Samaria, right, where the woman at the well was. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So he's not going to go back to Jerusalem or Judea. He's going to go on to Galilee. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he's not traveling alone. There's a whole lot of people who went up to Jerusalem for the feast, and now they're all scattered over the region, and they're traveling back, and they are just rejoicing because of what Jesus did. Verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, 
he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. We're going to look at this under just two main points. Firstly, we're going to see Jesus is sovereign over mission. Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus is sovereign over creation or in miracles. Firstly, Jesus is sovereign over mission. Look again at verse 43. We began the text. John begins, and he gives us some time markers. He says, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. Two days, 48 hours. Listen, let's just bring this into some context. Jesus has been where for two days? Samaria. Remember, he's traveling from Judea to Galilee, but he's going via Samaria. And so before he gets to Galilee, he has this encounter with the woman at the well. Remember that? But instead of just a once-off encounter, Jesus not only seizes the moment, he stays on for two days. He spends 48 hours in Samaria. This is culturally forbidden territory for a Jew. For Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, this was offsides, right? Have a look at verse 40 of John chapter 4. It says, it gives us again some some context. So when the Samaritans came to him, to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. That is scandalous. Jesus should have dusted off the the dust of his sandals and departed. But Jesus has a different idea because look what happens in Samaria. And many more believed, not just the Samaritan woman and not just because the Samaritan woman told others, many more believed because of his word. Now, this would have caught the disciples off guard. They would have been shocked by this encounter. They would have been a bit disturbed by this. They wouldn't have wanted to stay. The Jewish disciples wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And he's not just hanging out in Samaria. He's sharing the word with them. He's giving them the gospel, and the result is they're coming to faith. They're coming to faith by the dozens Samaritans are becoming part of God's family. Samaritans are being woven into the story of Israel. Samaritans and Jews didn't get on. They hated each other. Jesus is undoing all of this historical angst and anger and and, and disappointment between these two nations and these two people groups. They're joining God's family. They are believers. 
And the disciples are so uncomfortable at this point. All they want to do is get going for Galilee. Have a look at this. They want to eat and go. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You know when you go to someone's house and, uh, you know, it's, the, it's just not going so well and you're kind of like, let's just eat and go, right? This is what's happening. The disciples are like, let's eat. The plates are still warm and let's go. But look at verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. They want to eat and go, but Jesus has another agenda. Why? Because Jesus is sovereign over mission. Jesus is on a mission in Samaria because he's not only the savior of the Jews, he's saving people from all nations, from all people groups, from all tribes and tongues. Jesus is not only savior of the Jews, he's the savior of the world, which is what they say. Look at verse 42. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Jesus' mission is spilling over the banks of Israel. It's not confined to Israel. It's going to all the nations. Jesus is fulfilling the mission that was given to Abraham and his sons and generations after him who could never actually fulfill the mission. Remember, the nation of Israel was called to be a light to the Gentiles, and they weren't. They failed in that mission, and here comes Jesus, and he succeeds. He is a light to the Gentiles, and they declare, we have found the Savior of the world. This is good news. It's good news because here we sit today in this room and we are evidence that he is savior of the world. Here we sit at the southern tip of Africa and the gospel has gone all around the world and here we sit and we declare, we've been singing it together this morning, he is worthy, he is savior. And I think that this is a great encouragement to us because I know that you and I know this, that, that being on mission with Jesus or being on mission for Jesus, or just think about this, you know, you're in your workplace or wherever you find yourself doing most of your life, and you, you know how hard it is to tell people about Jesus, right? It can get awkward. It can get difficult. But we, we do it because we're we, 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 we compelled from within. We're compelled because we want to share the love of God. And so we know what it's like, right? We, we tell people about Jesus, and it can be difficult, and it can be disheartening, right? It can be really disheartening, because we hope that when we tell people about Jesus, that they're going to respond positively. But often what happens is they respond negatively. They, they respond in ways that we, that we least expected, and we begin to realize very quickly that the, that the hearts of men are cold and hard and, and, and the blindness that's over people's eyes is, is, is very dark and dim. And so what are we to do? Do we give up? Do we, do we not tell people because we might get rejected or ridiculed? No, no, we put our hope in this truth that Jesus is sovereign over the mission even the most difficult mission, even in Samaria. And look at what Jesus says to the disciples. 
In verse 34 of chapter 4, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is a work that will be accomplished. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth and there will be people saved from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And then he says to the disciples in verse 35, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. I know it's going to be difficult. I know you're going to be rejected and despised, but don't get despondent. Lift up your head, lift up your eyes and see, he says, that the fields are white for harvest. Then he says this in verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This is such an encouragement to the disciples and to us today because in spite of the challenges and despite the difficulties, despite the darkness and the hardness of men's hearts, Jesus is saying there will be a harvest because he's sovereign over the mission field. He is sovereign over the harvest. And, and what we see in the story is some responded to the woman's testimony and some responded because Jesus went there himself. And we know that God uses different people in different places and different spaces. And other people are going to labor and other people are going to sow the seed. And we're going to come along and it might be hard and difficult, but there will be a harvest. Some will respond immediately. Some will respond slowly. Some will never respond. And some take years to respond. But what Jesus says to us here is so encouraging. Don't give up. Keep sowing seeds. Keep laboring for the gospel because he is sovereign over the harvest. You do your part, he will do his part. J.C. Ryle says this. He says, the arrows of the Holy Ghost are all drawn from the same quiver, but he uses sometimes one and sometimes another according to his own sovereign will. So that's the first thing we see. Jesus is sovereign over the mission. Secondly, what we see here is Jesus is sovereign over creation. Now we pick up the story that is actually in our face here at Cana in Galilee. It says, At Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah, from Judah to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and what? Heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, a few things I want us to note here. Firstly, Jesus moves fairly rapidly from the socially outcast, the Samaritans, to now the social elite. Jesus is interacting with an official from the city. Again, not only do we see Jesus crossing cultural barriers, but he crosses social economic barriers also. He moves from the social outcasts to the social elite. Jesus engages with this official. The official comes to him and he doesn't cast him out and say, oh, I only deal with certain types of people. No, no, he, he, he works with all. And we also need to notice here that this man would have had great wealth and great position. He was an official. He was a nobleman of the city. He had many servants, verse 51 tells us. And yet, despite his position and despite his wealth and despite his status, what do we find? 
He's anxious. He's anxious and he's desperate because of his son's illness. Now think with me. A, a, a man in this position, a man of this status, a man in this position in society, a man with this amount of resources, this amount of servants, I think he would have thrown everything at his son's illness. He would have had the best doctors, the best medicines. He would have done everything that money could buy to try and heal his son. But what we immediately see here is that money is not almighty. Money is not sovereign. Here is a rich man. And the sickness gets worse and worse and worse to the point of death. And so let's just think through a few things here. Let's not assume, because sometimes I think we do this, let's not assume that the rich in life are immune to trials. Trials and tribulations come to all. And I want to just say up front, the rich are as liable to sickness as the poor. There is a saying, the higher the tree, the more it is shaken by the storms. And this is true in this case. This high and mighty man, this official of the city, is desperate. He's burdened for his son. He's done all that he can. He's thrown money. He's thrown everything at the situation. But his son is about to die. We must also note that because of this fallen world that we live in, that sin and sickness and death comes to the young and the old. It comes to both. It doesn't just come to the old. What we see in the story is that it's his son. This is a, a reversal of how it normally happens, isn't it? The, the usual order here is reversed. Normally, it's the son caring for the father, but what we see here is the father caring for the son. The, the younger one is nearing the grave before the parent. And this is why we feel the, the, the pain of the story, because it's touching. It's, it's not meant to be this way. Parents are not meant to bury their children. Something's wrong. This world is broken, and, and he's feeling the brokenness of this. There is a desperation in this man. And then he hears about this man, Jesus. He heard about him. He heard about what he did previously in Cana. The news has got out. I mean, this is an official in Cana of Galilee, and he, he's heard about this guy, Jesus, who turned water into wine, and, and then he went off, and now he's come back. And, and when he went off, he heard some more stories, and now he's come back, and he goes to Jesus, and he wants to know, Jesus, I need you to do something for me. Look at what he says. Jesus responds fairly strangely. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus responds rather differently, at least at first. Jesus uses, I think, his normal strategy, the same strategy that he used with the woman at the well 
where he begins to speak about physical water. Give me a drink, he says. And then he moves from physical reality to spiritual reality. And he begins to talk about living water. And if you had drunk from me, he says, you would have your thirst quenched. And Jesus does something similar here. Jesus wants to use a physical analogy to expose a spiritual reality. Jesus needs the official not to be caught up in signs and wonders, but to wonder about the own condition of his own heart. And so he asks a pressing question. He asks a pressing question. He says, are you one of those? Are you one of those that when you get into trouble, you turn to God? We know some of these people, right? Maybe, maybe that was us. You know, when you get into trouble or when your son's sick or when you were in an accident or when there's a crisis, suddenly you turn to God. This is the question. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Why are you coming to me? Just because you're desperate? Just because you're in trouble? And Jesus is full of compassion and mercy, but at the same time, he wants to uncover this man's motivation. What is he wanting to see? Is he more interested in the benefits of Jesus, or is he actually interested in Jesus? Is he coming to Jesus for the gift or for the giver? And many people stumble in this way today. Suddenly we're faced with a crisis. Suddenly we're faced with an illness. And we turn to Jesus as if he's a genie and we can rub him and he'll pop out and go, what would you like? But that's not who Jesus is. But I want you to notice that by asking this question, Jesus actually does get under the surface of this man's heart and he is changed because look at his response to Jesus. He responds. He doesn't try and get defensive or he doesn't try and manipulate Jesus. He actually submits to Jesus because look at his response in verse 49. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. At first, it feels like a demand, right? At first, it feels a little bit harsh, but I want you to notice a few things. I want you to first see that, that he's convinced Jesus has power and ability to change things. He, he's convinced that Jesus has the ability to prevent death. He's confident that Jesus can do something. Come, come before my child dies. In other words, if you come, something's going to change. He's confident in what he's heard about this Jesus. Secondly, he calls him sir. This is an official. This is like a minister in, in, in parliament. This is an official of the city. This is a high-ranking official, and he is surrendering his title. Now, this word sir can actually be translated lord. It can have that meaning. But I think contextually, because he's an official... This is showing his submission, the surrendering of what people would call him. He had servants. He would have had this title, and he now acknowledges that in the presence of God, his wealth and his power and his status and his position mean nothing. 
He's in the presence of God who is Lord over creation. And so he surrenders to him by saying, Lord, sir, you alone have power. I've tried everything. I've tried money. I've tried the best healers. I've been everywhere. Unless you come, I'm in trouble. And Jesus then responds in verse 50 and says, go, go, your son lives. It can be translated, he lives, or go, he will live. Notice that Jesus doesn't have to go. The request was come. Jesus doesn't go, but he says to him, no, you go. He says, come, I need you to come to my house to to heal my son. And Jesus is so sovereign over this fallen world, this creation, over all sin, over all sickness, over all death. He doesn't have to go. He says to the man, no, you go, he's living. Just his word changes creation. It's how creation came about. The illness leaves, and we know from reading it earlier that that, that let's just remind ourselves of the encounter, and so he goes. Look at this in verse 51. As he was going down, here's the man, the official, he's now leaving. So he's believed the word. Jesus says, no, go, he lives, and so he says, okay, I'm going. I, I trust you, and he goes. As he was going down, his servants come running to him. The servants met him and told him that his son was recovering, and so he asks them, The question any of us would have asked, what was the hour that he began to get better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him and the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. They not only had their physical needs met, in this miraculous healing, but the greater need of their souls because they all believed. And this is the point of signs. This is the connection between the sign and who Jesus is. And so let me wrap it up. We've gone from Cana back to Cana, and there's one big idea as we journeyed from Cana, the, the miracle of water to wine, and as we've seen other miracles, we get to this miracle, the healing of the official son. The, the one big message over this whole journey is Jesus is sovereign over all things and he can make all things new. This is the message. Jesus is sovereign over mission. Jesus is sovereign over creation. And what have we seen? From Cana to Cana, Jesus makes new wine. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus brings about the new birth. Jesus reaps new converts in Samaria. And here in the story, Jesus gives new life. This is the message of of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is sovereign over all things. And he brings new life. What was the man's problem? The man's problem was that death had visited his house. Death had come knocking on his door. Not for him, that would come too, but for his son. And I want to end on this note. Can you see that actually this is a problem that every human being faces? This is something that, that, that we are, have to reconcile with, that death will come. Death will come to your house. Death will come to your door. Death will visit you at some point in your life. 
No one is immune from death because the wages of sin is death. No one escapes death's grip. There's no way to avoid aging. There's no way to avoid illness or sickness or suffering. The the great scholar D.A. Carson, he says this, death is fundamentally God's imposed limitation on human arrogance. Isn't that brilliant? It's a slap in the face, but it's brilliant. Death is fundamentally God's imposed limitation on human arrogance. But what do we see here in this story? There is only one person who can change it and make all things new. And it might not mean that you don't die because guess what? The son got better, but then at one point he died. There's only Jesus Christ who rose from the dead to never die again. Even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, died. And what we see here is is a promise that you and I, we we can face death with confidence, church. We can face death with confidence because here's the key. When we see Jesus and we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, sir, and we surrender our lives, it changes everything. Death is no longer an enemy, but a door to glory. I want to finish with this quote from Tim Keller. He says, Christianity is different. It doesn't leave you to face death on your own. By holding up your life record and hoping it will suffice. Instead, it gives you a champion who has defeated death, who pardons you and covers you with his love. You face death in him and with his perfect record. What a comfort to know that he is sovereign over all creation. And we can face death with hope. We can face all crisis. Should you come to Jesus when there's a crisis? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when your friends come to Jesus because they think they can get something from him, go for it. Push it. Push them further than their physical need and begin to talk about their real need because he's there and he's sovereign. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would be with us in a special way as we hear your word this morning, that you would comfort our hearts with the knowledge that there is none like you and that you defeated death yourself as you went to the cross, as you were crucified for our sins in our place. And then you rose again, defeating sin and death. Lord, you have the keys of death and Hades. You are sovereign. All all authority in heaven and earth belongs to you. And so this, this morning we want to come and we want to say, Lord, sir, 
come to our house. Come to our hearts. Because unless you do, we face death alone. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go through this world. We don't want to go through pain and trial and tribulation and sickness. We don't want to go through it alone. And so we want to invite you, Jesus, to come. Come to our house. Come and visit us. And unless you do, we walk alone. And so we thank you for this reminder today that you are sufficient, that you are enough, that you are sovereign over all things, even death itself. Thank you for the hope that we have, Lord. Blessed be your name. Amen. Let's stand as we close in this last song together.